and welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about The Sword in the Stone. Jan, do you want to tell us a little bit about this movie? Yes, I do. The Sword in the Stone is a 1963 Disney movie based on the book by T.H. White of the same name. It stars Carl Swenson, Junius, Junius Matthews, Sebastian Cabot, Norman Alden, Martha Wentworth, and Ricky Sorensen, Richard Reithman, and Robert Reithman, all as Arthur. Hmm. Yeah. Paul, what's the plot to The Sword in the Stone? Eccentric wizard Merlin predicts that a He's going to get a visitor in the woods, but he doesn't know who it's going to be. It turns out it's 12-year-old Wart. A kind of dim-witted American-accented child in medieval, big, um, generically medieval England. Merlin transforms Arthur into various different creatures as part of his education and eventually the wart goes with his family to London for a tournament where he, having forgotten his stepbrother Sir Kay's sword, runs back to the inn to find one and instead finds a sword in the stone, which he pulls out, revealing that he is the right wise born king of all England, King Arthur. <gasps> Twist. <sighs> the end. The end. Based so, on the book by T.H. White. Yes. So, Paul, what's your personal experience with the sword and the stone and King Arthur stories in general? Um, I have a bit of experience with it. <laughs> Just a bit. I mean, I'll start with the movie, because that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Which is, I've seen this movie very many times, and I have affection for it. It's ba- the book it's based on, The Sword and the Stone by T.H. White, is one of my favorite books ever, especially uh, children's books ever. And it's one of maybe a small handful of books that I remember reading aloud with my mom and like both of us laughing so hard we couldn't keep going. Um, I also... Partly, not entirely, but partly because of the affection for King Arthur that I developed from The Sword and the Stone by T.H. White and the other books by him, but The Sword and the Stone was first for me. Um, Partly because of my affection that came from that uh, when I decided to do a master's degree in English, I focused on King Arthur. And when I decided to do a PhD in English, I focused on Lamort d'Arthur. Uh, which is the, among other things, uh, source that T.H. White used when he wrote The Sword and the Stone and The Once and Future King. So I have a 500-page PhD thesis about King Arthur and Arthur stories. This is my academic specialization, is Mallory. Um... So not the sword, not Disney's Sword in the Stone, but 
the ultimate source material for it, because although the source for this is T.H. White, T.H. White's source was Mallory, uh, is like being the center of my focus of my life for 10 years? <laughs> More? More. <laughs> yeah, so I have some experience with just, Mallory. With just, just, just a smidge. I'm an Arthurian. That's what I would put on my business card if I had one. Actually, no. Uh, Clockworks is what I put on my business card because I do have one. <laughs> <laughs> A Legion podcast. Not this podcast. That's just the Clockworks business card. We don't have a way too seriously business card. It's the Maybe only business card I have. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> What's your experience with the Sword in the Stone? My husband is super into it. <laughs> um, I don't think I ever watched this movie when I was a kid. I don't think I watched it until I had kids. It's not one of the mo- movies I am was super familiar with of that age. A lot of the other ones I'm much more familiar with. Um, I read Sword in the Stone after I met you and love it. It's great. And this movie is pretty good, too. I think I've seen it maybe three times. Hmm. So, objectively speaking, how good of a movie is The Sword in the Stone? Of the movies that came around out at around this time of Disney, like The Jungle Book and Robin Hood, mm-hmm. it is, and uh, Black Cauldron, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the least of those, I think. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have... The songs in it are not catchy. Especially the, when you put it in a category with uh, The Jungle Book. Yeah, exactly. And even Robin Hood. And even Robin Hood. It's just... The songs are not catchy and not, and frankly not really well, very well done. Mm-hmm. The animation is just copy-paste from those other movies. And from itself. And from itself, yeah. The, like... Kay eating that turkey leg is at least three times that same shot within about ten minutes. And, like, there's even a moment when Wart's walking down the stairs and drops all his pans. And our kids are like, ha he always does that when he gets there. And I'm like, yeah, it's because they're literally reusing the exact same frames. Yeah. <laughs> but despite that, I mean, like you said, the source material is good. And so the, the plot itself and the movie does have a lot of that charm mm-hmm. and and a lot of that humor merlin is fantastic merlin and archimedes i think make this movie i think the voice the voice of merlin and the voice of archimedes and their interactions with each other and the like a lot of the humor of this is shifted from th white's humor like mm. there are situations that are the same but then they make a different joke from them um and i could mention two of them that really spring to mind one of which is when Hector first when Merlin first appears in the castle and Hector is like what are you doing here uh just the way that Merlin reacts to that in both cases he arrives Hector questions him he makes snow and it's a funny scene but in the movie he's like it's a blizzard wizard it's a wizard blizzard is the joke kind of and the, the fact that Hector's cold, whereas in the book, it's very like Merlin just calls for things out of the air. And the best joke of that 
scene is that he says, snow. And an umbrella, he added hastily. <laughs> and there's a big snowstorm, but he's protected by an umbrella. That's hilarious. And the other one is when he gets blown to Bermuda. Yes. That's in the book, it's an accident. Yeah. In the movie, he does it on purpose. But in the book, he just gets really frustrated and says, Casper and Pollux, blow me to Bermuda. What are you talking? And he gets blown away to Bermuda by Casper and Pollux. And he comes mm. back and is like, let that be a lesson not to swear. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny <laughs> but the merlin as like a befuddled buffoonish character is a hundred percent th white yeah i can say that authoritatively as an arthurian scholar like that is not how merlin is characterized until th white does it yeah and it's fun and it's funny yeah it's hilarious. um the fact that um, Arthur, or the wart, is voiced by three different people, if you know that, it is dead obvious. Yep. And if you don't know that, you can't quite put your finger on why he doesn't quite work, but that is a big part of why he doesn't work. And so, like... There's so... There's definitely one of the voices is, like, an older boy, and his voice is cracking. And... That could have worked if you had made that his voice at the very end. Yeah. But it's just scattered throughout the movie. Or if there'd been any, like... Yeah. If you have several different actors voicing the same character, have some reason. Mm -hmm. It could be an artistic choice, like a subtle artistic choice, where, like, have one of them play him when he's happy and one of them play him when he's sad and people won't really... Or, like, one of them play him when he's is learning from Merlin and one of them when he's resisting learning from Merlin or like, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like in Full House, um, (laughs) uh, the Olsen twins, I can't remember which one's which, but the one was always Michelle when she was cranky and the other was her when she was happy. And they grew up that the cranky one is now the bad Olsen twin still. Whichever one's the bad one. Mary Kate. Yeah. She was labeled the bad one as an infant. Yep. So that's great. Um, anyway, complete side note. Complete side note. It's, I think, basically what I understand from it is it was the 60s and voice acting and who cares? Yeah. Like, there, it's a kid actor. Who cares if he sounds the same the whole time? He's pretty, no one's going to notice. And then the other thing about him is that his accent is American where everyone else is British. And it's a British story. And how dare you make King Arthur American? <laughs> King Arthur of all people. That, I mean... We might get into that later, Mm -hmm. because that doesn't bother me as much, actually, as everything else. My takeaway on the objective quality of this movie is the character design is quite good, but the animation is pretty cheap and shoddy. Mm -hmm. The songs are pretty bad. Yep. The voice acting is pretty bad. Like, Merlin's voice acting is good. Everyone else's is adequate, mm-hmm. and the three Arthurs are not adequate. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Archimedes is, is fine. Yeah. Merlin and Archimedes are both fine. Merlin's even as so far as good. But everyone else is mediocre at best, or terrible at worst. Mm-hmm. So the bulk of, like, voice acting is bad, animation is bad, music is bad, story... You said the story is good, and I think I'm I'm conflicted about it. Mm-hmm. 
I think there are a number of really great set pieces, but as a plot with a beginning, a middle, and an end, it's quite meandering. Yeah. Which The Sword in the Stone by T.H. White is on purpose. And so that doesn't bother me. Like, if I'm talking in a second about how much I enjoyed it, that doesn't bother me. But if I was like, the plotting of this movie is not have a strong technical skill Mm -hmm. of, like, how to plot a movie, you know? Yeah. I think that the script is good, though. Mostly. Like, the dialogue. They're... Mostly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's some pretty bad parts. But there's some okay parts. (laughs) Objectively, I don't think it's a great movie, actually. I don't think it's very good. No. Let's move forward, though, to how much do you enjoy it, apart from the objective qualities of it. Um... I kind of enjoy it. It's pretty good. Um in my like enjoyment of it. I am good with like I've watched it three times and I'm I think I'm good with that amount of times of watching it. Maybe in five years I'll be like, Oh yeah, Sword in the Stone, let's watch that again but having just watched it I'm like, meh <laughs> Yeah. I think I enjoy it quite a lot more than how good I think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a situation where, like, I love the book, and I love the book so much, and this can this is a thing where, like, I suppose who knows how you're going to react, how I'm going to react to this kind of thing, but this is a case where I love the book so much that I'm not mad at it for not living up to the book, I'm just my love of the book carries into the movie, hmm. right? I notice every time that a joke isn't as good as the book version of the joke it makes me want to reread the book a lot but i also carry a lot of my affection for the book just right into the movie yeah absolutely and it's doesn't do the movie the book justice at all but i like it anyway and enjoy it anyway and then to like i love the book i also you know have a lot of personal and professional interest in Arthurian legends and so that just brings a lot of interest into this movie for me for reasons that have nothing to do with the movie actually Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely you know yeah so I enjoy it but more than how good it is yeah quite a lot I think even having said that uh I would choose to watch Robin Hood or the Jungle Book before I would choose to watch this again yeah uh, Robin Hood is one of my absolute favorite Disney movies, just in general. So it's hard not to watch this and go, I'd rather be watching Robin Hood. <laughs> <laughs> With that dreamy fox. Anyway, uh, should we get into the way, way, way to portion of our show? Let's do that. All right. Where do we want to start? talking about taking this movie way too seriously. You mentioned Arthur's accent. Do you want to talk about why it's okay for him to be American? Yeah, I don't necessarily know if I want to talk about why it's okay for him to be American. I don't think it's okay. I want to talk about why he's American. Hmm. Why I think it is a reason... uh, Maybe reasonable isn't the right word, but 
a unsurprising choice to make him American. It isn't just an oversight. Hmm. Right? We touched on this back when we talked about Prince of Egypt, which don't bother going back and listening to it. Our sound quality was terrible back then. And that's one of the podcasts where like we had to record a disclaimer afterwards because we didn't pay attention to important things we glossed past. (laughs) But what we did talk about that is worth bringing up again is Prince of Egypt also has British actors, but the hero has an American accent. British characters for his, for like Ramses and, uh, uh, whatever. But Moses has an American accent. And we talked then about why American movies like to make the main character that you identify with have an American accent and everyone else can be foreign and that's fine. And this is like, accents not matching the setting is not unique to this movie in Disney's run. Like you said, Robin Hood. Robin Hood has a British accent, but Little John has an American accent. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't... And why? And that doesn't really bother people usually. A lot of people don't even really notice that that's the case. Yeah. But they give an American accent to a character because they want him to be relatable and uh, familiar and kind of comfortable. Right? That's mm-hmm. why you, Mowgli has an American accent in the Jungle Book. Mm. And a lot of the characters have British accents. Baloo obviously has the same accent that Little John does. Um, so I think the choice to make uh, Arthur, to make the wart American, I think it, accom- it does two things for the movie. Both of which I can understand why they would have made these choices. Even if we could, there are reasons why they're bad choices ultimately. But they're expecting that the audience is going to be Americans. Yeah. Primarily. And so it's set in England and you have British accented everyone else. But you're expecting that for the audience, an American accent is a familiar neutral accent and a British accent is a foreign accent. Right? Mm -hmm. That's a reasonable expectation when you're making the movie. So you make... Arthur, an American, because you are making him the audience identification character more than anyone else. There's an argument to be made that actually Merlin's the main character of the movie. I would make that argument. But Wart is the character that they want to pour our empathy into. They want us to be rooting for him, and so they stack the deck to make us be on his side. He makes him... uh, the American accent makes him a cipher, like a blank slate that we can pour our affection into, right? Without having to actually make him do anything for mm-hmm. it. He's surrounded. And then symbolically, he's surrounded. He's an outsider, mm-hmm. which he should be. The Wart should be an outsider in this story. And his accent makes him one. And a lot of people won't be able to put their finger on the accent, frankly, mm-hmm. especially kids. But they'll recognize that he sounds different from everyone around him, which he should, both because of the themes of the story and also because, like, it's a little uh, hint. They say explicitly, but it's a little reminder that he's not biologically actors, which right. is important for the story. Yes. Um, And on top of that, it makes him... Uh, 
it's like why you put you make Drew. Uh, this is a really weird comparison to make, but it's like in the Wedding Singer why Drew Barrymore dresses like the '90s and everyone else dresses like the '80s when it's set, mm-hmm. right? It makes him. Uh, he's anachronistic a little bit. There are no American accents when this story is set. Not only couldn't he have had one, there weren't any. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so he's like Merlin. He's anachronistic because he represents like the future and he represents an out. He's an outsider and we identify with him. And he. all of those reasons are why... You want Wart to have an American accent and everyone else to be British because he should stand out. He should be different from the medieval setting of everyone else. Know what I mean? I get entirely what you're saying. What you're saying entirely makes sense. But, like, he's King Arthur. Yes. He should, should, like, be British. Come on. (laughs) So, all of that said... (laughs) All of that said. King Arthur is a British uh, myth. Yes. (laughs) Uh... And if any character in all of fiction should be British, it's King Arthur. Yep. Really, he should be Welsh, actually, if you want to be a stickler about it. I love a Welsh accent. Welsh, or if you like, or possibly Cornish. Uh, But, you know, that's neither here nor there. It's interesting. I mean, this is a real way too seriously about King Arthur, not really about the thing, but like, uh, Arthur is a Welsh character who gets appropriated by the English to become a symbol of English nationalism that then gets used historically. Uh, the legend of King Arthur gets deployed historically by the English as part of the rationale and justification of and as part of the narrative of them uh conquering the british isles and being Hmm. like the dominant lords of the british the english rule britain england is britain we're the people of king arthur when king arthur was not english he was welsh originally i mean there's no real king arthur but the the original king arthur stories Mm -hmm. were welsh uh in the original king arthur stories he is a welsh king probably we don't really know but, so he's already a, cult, a character of cultural appropriation. And then Americans, King Arthur is big in the U.S. South specifically. Uh, and the U.S. South kind of appropriates him and makes him practically an American character. And it's kind of part of the tradition of Arthur is he gets appropriated by, to become a figure of nationalism in a nation he doesn't actually belong to. Mm-hmm. But you digress. But I digress. Anything else about this movie specifically, focusing back on this movie, for taking things too seriously? I mean... I mean, it's a sausage fest. I was going to say that. Why don't you take it? There's no women aside from Madame Mim, who is the witch figure in this in this show, and manages to both be like... She has a moment of transforming herself into like sexy lady, oh. and that which is horrifying, and then back into like hag. So she's she manages to be both maiden and crone, and she's yeah the only female character is is Madame Mim. That's 
I think we could have two distinct conversations. One is about how she's the only female character, and the other is about her. Yeah. So which do you want to talk about first? I mean, the fact that she's the only female character, there's not a lot to say beyond, like, to have the only female character be a witch is problematic. And it's common. It's, again, something that uh, happens in Arthurian legend. That that gets called... I mean... The literary tradition that can trace itself right back to King Arthur legend is what, like, sword and sorcery mm-hmm. is what you call that. Yeah. And in Arthurian legend, sword and sorcery, with the very notable exception of Merlin, the men have the swords and the women have the sorcery. Right? Yeah. Almost every woman in Arthurian legend is magic, with the notable exception of Guinevere, who maybe sometimes is magic. I'm actually writing a paper about that. But, uh... And T.H. White himself was a noted misogynist Hmm. Um, in complicated reason, in complicated ways. He was aware of that and trying not to be, but he hated his mother Hmm. and had like psychological issues that came up in his writing. So, uh, Arthurian legend already tends to be a sausage fest, as you say. Mm-hmm. T.H. White specifically kind of suspected that women were inherently evil. Uh, and I know I love his book. It sucks to love the book of someone who... Lo- anyway, I think his book is still gr- really good. <sighs> but we could have a long conversation about liking stuff that's seriously bad. Uh, in fact, maybe that's what this entire podcast is. But the movie is like brings all of that stuff in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any of them better. No, because you have the two love-struck squirrels. But like that poor girl squirrel, who's in love, who like wants to mate for life with squirrel Wart, mm-hmm. and then cries when he turns into a boy. And we, the movie, are like, shrug. And like, yeah, she's an animal. But the, re- the there's like a secondary reason of why it's okay to leave her heartbroken and crying. And it's because she's a girl. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. And all through the movie, we have tons of like, man will discover flight and man will fly and man will this and man will that. So it's not just that... Uh, women aren't present uh they're diminished and mocked and uh actively excluded mm-hmm. um and like the the squirrel randy squirrel who chases after merlin is worse even because that's like a big joke about how like she's like ugly or like I know. Portrayed as like, she's like this ugly chick who's chasing Merlin. Exactly. And when Merlin turns back into a human, she's scared. And isn't that funny? And. Because there's a tiny bit of pathos yeah. for 
the squirrel that chases Arthur, but there's none for the squirrel that chases Merlin because mm-hmm. she doesn't deserve it because the squirrel that chases Arthur is young and pretty. And we have markers of that in all kinds of ways we could go into, but don't have to. The major one is that she's fat, mm-hmm. which you're right, is code for us to understand that she's you know, the ugly squirrel. Yeah. As if squirrel, like standards of squirrel beauty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But we we can recognize the code, mm-hmm. and because she's unattractive, her uh, she's even more dismissed and mocked, and there's no sympathy for her at all. No, not at all. And that's and then the other woman in the movie is the like cook or scullery maid or whatever. Oh yes, her as well. Who just shrieks and runs around shrieking about black magic. Yeah. It's her only role in the movie, but she's there. Yeah. And then None we have of them Madame have names. Mim. The only named woman is Madame Mim. Yep. Uh, and Madame Mim. Yeah, let's get into Madame Mim. That scene where she transforms into I Can Be Pretty. Mm-hmm. Like... Madame Mim, as you said, is a type. She's the crone. They're playing strongly on, like, Baba Yaga, the witch in the wood, the gingerbread house. Yes. Like, uh, all those types. All those fairy tale witches. That's what she encompasses. Which aren't really Arthurian. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. I don't care. Um. Arthur, like, if it was being... Anyway, you you would have her be Morgan Le Fay if it was Arthurian, but you don't want to, so that's fine. So she's playing on uh, all those... The crone, as you said. And important for the crone is she's old and she's ugly. And they play on, like, you know, bad is good. Uh, then there's, like... The, the, oh, all the stuff about the crone in general and the way that they play up how ugly she is as part of uh, this or any representation of the crone that like magical users, witches, are old women living on their own. They are evil by virtue of uh, being ugly. You can tell they're evil because they're ugly because they're not sexual objects and when women aren't sexual objects they're threat yeah uh and that's like almost explicit in this depiction of madame mim yeah that like because she lives in the woods and isn't a sexual object she's evil Mm -hmm. um and we have her starting off playing solitaire that really struck me because it's one of these anachronisms that happen all through the movie that are funny. But I feel like solitaire is shorthand for spinster. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Or can be. In yeah. this case is. Mm-hmm. So we're giving some visual vocabulary that's tying her into modern and by modern i mean 60s but by modern i also mean 2019 we're connecting her 
to modern spinsters. Mm-hmm. And I'm using spinster deliberately as like a stereotype, a type from central casting, you know. Old unmarried spinster in the woods is a witch who is evil. Mm-hmm. And let's connect her with those really specifically. Mm-hmm. Then we have her transforming herself pretty. Mm-hmm. That's like a skin crawling <laughs> sequence. Yes. I mean, I've, I've been talking a bit. Do you have anything to say about that? It's, well, first of all, it's like this 12-year-old boy is watching this, which is creepy and weird. It's, she makes herself super skinny-waisted and giant pointy boobs, which is kind of 60s anyway. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. She is... She's like, I'm choosing not to be this. I am, I could, I could be this pretty girl, but I'm choosing to be, because bad is good. And so like, it would be good if I was this pretty lady, but instead I choose to be, to look like this, to look like this crone, because bad is good. There's a real subtext. I mean, what her actual line is, is this prettiness is only skin deep. Yes. She doesn't say, I could be this person. She says, this is a disguise. Her actual line is, like, this is only skin deep. I'm actually Madden Madden Mim. But you're absolutely right. I think you're putting your finger on it when, like, the subtext here is one of the things that makes her evil is that she could be beautiful if she wanted to, but isn't. Yeah. Right? Exactly. That to choose to be, to choose not to be uh, waist the size of her pinky finger and boobs that stick out farther than her wingspan. Uh, to choose not to be that is to choose to be ugly, which is to choose to be evil. Yeah. Those things are all the same. Yeah, exactly. Those are the options for women. Yeah, beautiful or evil. Yeah. That's just great. Yeah. And she is soundly defeated by an old white man. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm rooting Paul. for Merlin. But yeah, she is soundly correct. defeated by an old white dude. She certainly um, is. Yep. As is right and good. Hardy har. Anything else that you want to touch on in this movie? I want to kind of touch on, in a not problematic way, but in an interest way, mm-hmm. what is Merlin teaching Arthur? He's teaching him to experience different things. Yeah. And I feel like when he's the fish, he's teaching him to swim in the middle, to recognize that there's a top and a bottom to mm-hmm. the world. When he's a squirrel, he says look, it's, he's teaching him to look before he leaps. Mm-hmm. He's in general exper- teaching him to experience life as a, as different things and different people, which I think is supposed to hint at like how he'll become good King Arthur and be 
uh, have this like Knights of the Round Table uh, equality thing. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty subtle. It is. And it's less, much less subtle in the book. Yes. But it's like, I think that it is the explicit thing that Merlin is t- says the most often is brains over brawn, use your brains. Yeah. But a uh, implicit thing that he's primarily teaching him with all the shape-shifting is empathy. Mm-hmm. He's teaching him to see things from a different perspective, to understand people who aren't like him. That's kind of a message that the movie misses. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> uh, a message that it is giving but doesn't understand itself. Yeah. But it's one of the things that makes uh, the book great, despite T.H. White's personal hang-ups. Uh, because he's like... T.H. White does get that that's the message that he's giving. Mm-hmm. Um. And it comes into the movie despite the movie, right? Yeah. That what makes, what's going to make Arthur a great king and what make, what Merlin needs to teach him is to understand the people around him who aren't him. Mm-hmm. I think that is something that's worth learning. Yeah. Uh, and so I like it for teaching that, even if it kind of doesn't mean to. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. One more little way too seriously thing, which is just that uh, wolves aren't villains. <laughs> <laughs> Who speaks for the wolf? Uh, apparently you. Apparently me. You know? They're also not... They, they hunt in packs. They hunt in packs. Be, I mean, I know lone wolf is like a thing, but... The reason lone lone wolf is a thing like tiny elephant, like it's supposed to be an oxymoron or like a really remarkable, yeah, like a lone wolf. That's a unique. So this wolf that bothers them, I thought I. That's not what wolves are like. Seriously, actually, seriously, wolves have been hunted to. Uh, levels of endangered to endangered levels partly because of uh, fear that comes from representations of them as like killing machines Mm -hmm. just like sharks yes just like sharks so like when you see a wolf as the bad guy in a cartoon remember wolves are are just a dog without a home <laughs> That's so sweet. Um on a like personal note about this movie, uh when we went to Disney World to a couple of years ago, uh there's a little sword in the stone there and so we took lots of pictures of like the kids and you and trying to get the sword out of the stone. It was a ton of fun. I think when this airs, I'll try to put up on our Twitter feed those pictures, maybe even on Instagram as well. Sounds good. Those pictures of, uh, especially you trying to get the sword out of the stone. It was my chance. What age do you think the sword in the stone is appropriate for? Yeah, all ages. Yeah, There's agreed. nothing scary about it or anything. Agreed. Might be a little slow if you were younger than five. Yeah, I guess. But, uh, maybe not. They change into animals, and that's cool to imagine. Yeah, exactly. Even for a very, very small child. 
Yep. Definitely an all-ages movie. So, is it good? Is it seriously good? I thought I was supposed to ask that. Go ahead, then. Is it good? Is it seriously good? I want it to be good, but I don't think it is. It is not a good movie, Paul. I'm sorry to say. I really want it to be. It's pretty much medium. At best. At best. Mediocre. <laughs> I think, I think like, if I'm going to be cold and uh, give a frank and cold appraisal of it as the quality of the movie, I think it's medium bad. Mm-hmm. It has moments that are memorably and en- memorable and enjoyable, but as a movie, it's medium bad, I think. Yeah. I think, frankly, you could watch that gif of Merlin putting all the books into the bag and pretty much be satisfied. <laughs> Aww. Just search in your gifs for book and it'll be, it'll come up in one of the... <laughs> what about seriously? What do you think? I think it's seriously... Uh, same, medium bad, maybe even seriously bad. I mean, the only thing that keeps it from being, the only thing that we might argue keeps it from being just seriously bad, seriously bad, is what I said about how at its core it's about empathy. Mm-hmm. I think other than that, there's nothing really redeemable in serious terms, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's not offensive, so I feel like serious. Well, I feel like seriously bad verges into offensive. And it's, it's not like not. actively racist, but it is kind of actively misogynistic. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I think it's serious. I think it's medium bad. Seriously, medium bad. Aww. We don't want to give it those ratings because it's so uh, a special part of your heart. It's seriously medium. But... It's medium bad and seriously medium bad, but I still really like it. Yep. <laughs> okay I'll take it If so, you love King Arthur Or if you want to just, you know, chew the fat about King Arthur with me I'm always up for it You can find us on Twitter At WTSCast You can find us on Facebook and Reddit and uh, Instagram And those notes, those Links are in the show notes. If you want to send us a longer thought or reflection or series of thoughts about this movie or any of the movies we've talked about, you can email us waytoseriouslycast at gmail.com. And if you like what we do here on Way Too Seriously, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. And please don't consider rating and reviewing us, just do it. <laughs> five stars and say something nice about us it's been so long since anyone gave us a said something nice about us in the reviews you'd warm my heart if you did anything else we say at this point i don't think so all right so i've been paul moffat i've been jan moffat and i have been to the 20th century i've seen it i've seen the things that people will do or have done that's that's less impressive for me than it was for merlin <laughs> <laughs>